We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Bardwell. To hear more, please use our media player at PCAChurch.com and join us every Sunday at 1030 at 2313 East Prospect in Ponca City. Now join us for the following message. Thanksgiving first, then Christmas. So uh, we will start next week. The title of my message this morning is Pack It Up. Pack It Up. When you hear certain names, you, you automatically associate certain things with those names. If I were to say the name Dr. Martin Luther King, you would associate civil rights with this name. If I were to say the name Michael Jordan, you would think of NBA basketball, Nike shoes. If I were to say the name Bernie Madoff, you would think Ponzi scheme, right? If I were to say the name Richard Nixon, you'd think Watergate and the phrase, I'm not a crook, right? <laughs> I grew up in church. I was, I've been in church 57 years and nine months. And I grew up in a time where we had all Sunday night services, Wednesday night services, Thursday night services, Friday night services. And, and I've been around church all my life, and I've heard a lot of sermons and a lot of things. And there's been times in my life that even though I gave my heart to the Lord at a very young age, that I tried to hide things from my parents. Uh, I tried to hide brains sometimes. And so here you go. Sign this, please, quickly. But because of being around church all my, time, all my life, I thought there were a couple of times that the rapture had happened, and I did not go. Anybody raised in church and think that happened to them? Because they preached on the rapture all the time. And I remember getting off the bus one day and, and coming in the house, and Mom was always home. She wasn't home. And I went through the house yelling and screaming, Mom, Mom, went outside, Mom, Mom. And I knew the rapture had happened. I had not gone. And then I remember going one night, we went to a revival service, and we were coming home. I was laying on the back seat of the car looking out the window, and the moon was kind of a reddish color. And then I remember them talking about that the moon will turn to blood. And this scares them. And I wonder today, what scares people? What scares people? What, what causes us to stop? And so today, I want to cause you to stop for just a minute. And if you get scared, it's okay. It's okay. Because when I was growing up, preachers said things all the time that scared me. And nowadays, nobody says anything that scares anybody. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 25. It's a very unusual verse of Scripture. There was never anyone like Ahab. Say that. There was never anyone like Ahab. That's a pretty powerful statement. Of all the people who've been born, who've lived and died, there was never anyone like Ahab. He sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, and he was urged on by Jezebel. His, now, how many of you heard of Jezebel? Oh, yeah. What do you associate with Jezebel? The Bible says no one was like him. So when you heard the name Ahab, you associated it with evil. No one has ever been more evil than Ahab. I want you to get that. 
no one has been more evil than Ahab and his wife Jezebel cheered him on, urged him on, said, come on, you can do better than that. So they were a duo of evil. I mean, the Justice League would have had a, a date with him. Verse 26. He behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Amorites the Lord drove out before Israel. He was evil in every way. And the question that I have to ask is, what made him that way? You know, when you, when you see people in certain stages of life, I always wonder, how did they get that way? How did they get to that place in their life? And so what made Ahab so evil? Well, let's read. Look at just a few verses before that. 1 Kings 21, verses 1 through 3. Sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth, the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So Ahab said to Naboth, Hey, let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden since it's close to my palace. In exchange, I will give you a better vineyard or, if you prefer, I will pay whatever it is worth. But Naboth replied, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. What? Do you not know who you're talking to? And you just said, No. Am I hearing you correctly? What? You said no to me? The king of Samaria? Ahab? So what does he do? Well, here's what he does. Look at verses 4 and 5. This is a king, mighty man. So Ahab went home. Some. I love that. Some. How many men want to be sullen? I don't want to be sullen. I'm in Orlando. He was sullen and he was angry. Because Naboth, the Jezreelite, has said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. And he, so he laid on his bed, sulking, refusing to eat. What a man, right? All the women said amen. So his wife Jezebel came in and said, What are you doing? Why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? Well, because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, some of your vineyard are, if you prefer, I'll give you another vineyard in his place. And he said, I will not give you my vineyard. And you know, can you just see this? The king goes over to his neighbor. Hey, neighbor, how you doing? Probably brought him some hot coffee or whatever. Said, hey, how you doing? Uh, great day, beautiful day. I'm, I'm really wanting to get into veggie garden. My, my wife loves French vegetables. I'd really like to get into some veggie gardening and, and you've got a really good vineyard. And, and so here's the deal. I'll, I'll give you whatever you want for it or if you prefer, I'll give you a better vineyard. But this was real close to my house, real convenient. We can just come over here, do the gardening, go right back, be of the king. If, if you don't mind, I really want to get my hands dirty and do some, some gardening. Would you want to do that? So he comes over in a really good mood. He's, in a, he's a really good guy. Hey, what do you want to do? And Naboth has the audacity to go, no! So he goes home, gets in his little bed and curls up in the, you just see him in the little fetal position. And his wife comes in, why aren't you eating? They're, they're bringing you your dinner, you won't eat. Why aren't you eating? Well, 
believe this, honey. But I went over there in a really good mood. And I, and I tried to give him whatever he wanted, and I was going to pay him top dollar because I wanted to do some veggie gardening for you, baby. I wanted you to have some fresh tomatoes and some fresh cucumbers, and, and, and you could have your cucumber salad. And, and it just I thought it would be a good thing. And, and he said, no. I don't like that. I don't know what I'm going to do, so I'm just going to lay here, and I'm going to be sullen. <laughs> Naughty, whimpering and whining. What kind of man is this? So his wife says, well, let's read this. Jezebel's wife said, is this how you act as king over Israel? She's shocked. This is my husband? What? She says, get up and eat. Cheer up. Go over there again and, and, and tell him you're going to. No, she says, here's what she says. Get up and eat. Cheer up. I'll get the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. She's thinking, you're such a wimpy, whiny little man. Let me take care of this. Just get up and eat. Take a bath. Brush your teeth. Fix your, you look horrible. I'll take care of this myself. And she's a strong woman, right? She's Jezebel. She cannot stand her husband being whipping and whining over here. I'll take care of And so she does, man. She hatches a plot. She goes over and takes the king's seal and writes a beautiful a letter on stationery to Naboth, inviting him to a beautiful banquet. She takes him and brings him into the banquet. She has uh, some men seated across the table. And while they're eating and dining and everything's going real good, they accuse him of treason. Treason? So she has him taken out from the banquet table and stoned. He's dead. And then she says this. She goes back in, into uh, to the bedroom and says, Hey, get up. The vineyard is yours. What? Yeah. I killed him. So now you can get up and go take the garden and do some veggies and get some things fresh from She killed a guy so that he could have a veggie garden. And so you think, okay, story's over. No, no, no. How many of you know that God sees everything? And this is where it gets pretty scary. Look at 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 17 through 24. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Now, Elijah's a bad dude, right? He's a serious prophet of God. He says, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard, where he's going to take possession of it. So you got to see this. Ahab's down there finally getting his hands in these dirties. He's veggie gardening. He's happy. Sun's back out. Birds are singing. It's a good day. Elijah comes in and says, this is what you say to him. This is what the Lord said. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says. Wow. Now I want you to, would you hire this guy as a pastor? What I'm about to read. In the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, because you know she had him stoned and killed, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, yours. And Ahab said to Elijah, so you found me, my enemy. I have found you, he answered, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. I am going to bring disaster on you, and I will wipe out your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. 
I will make your house like that of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and that of Basha, son of Ahijah, because you have aroused my anger and caused Israel to sin. Also concerning Jezebel, I love this. Don't, wait a minute, got something for your wife too. Dogs would devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Dogs will eat those belonging to Ahab who die in the city, and the birds will feed on those who die in the country. So the dogs are eating the people in the city, the people who die in the country, the birds are going to get. Good for you to be in the house of God. Doesn't this lift you up and make you glad you come after eating turkey? I want to hear about dogs eating the bowels of people today, Pastor. I want to visually see birds plucking out the eyeballs of people today. Wouldn't that be a good kind of message to preach in those things? Well, I've got news for you. God's found you. He searched you out and he found you. I remember growing up, there was a, a, per, a guy we had one time who, who came into the church. He didn't stay long. But he came into the church and I think his gift was whatever he thought it was. But he thought his gift was to walk over to people and tell them all their business out loud for everybody. Have you ever been in service like that? It, I mean, everybody wants to just put their head down. Don't make eye contact. <laughs> Can you imagine if this morning all of a sudden God had told me everything about every one of you? And, and the Bible says at one point in one, in one guy's life, God even told the prophets what the man was saying in his bedroom. Okay, that's pretty intimate. And then all of a sudden I start going row by row telling every one of you, here's what God said. God, all the sins in your life, I'm just boom, boom. That's what God did to Elijah. I mean, Elijah did to uh, this man Ahab. Why? Because God wants to shock him. God wants him to know, I am God. And you cannot kill someone and get away with it. You cannot do evil in the sight of God like you're doing Without God trying to get your attention. And he says, I'm going to take care of you and your family, your wife, people in the city, people in the country. The dogs are going to eat everything in the city. The birds are going to devour everything in the country. Here's what Ahab said. Verse 25. Well, here's what was said about it. Remember this? There was never anyone like Ahab. Who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. Urged on by Jezebel his wife. He is a king. He's got position. He has a salary. He has power. He has authority. He has the seal. But here's what he does. Verse 27. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes. Put on sackcloth and fasted. He lay in sackcloth and went around meekly. There's no sullen. There's no bowing up. There's no, hey, do you know who I am? Are you talking to me like this? There was none of that. Then the word came, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before? You see, I love that God sees the evil, but God also sees the humility. Have you not noticed how he's humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself. What a changing phrase. God has declared, I will allow the dogs and the birds to devour everything.
But then God's mind changes. Ahab humbled himself. He became meek. He didn't bow up. He didn't poke out his chest. He didn't say who he was and what he could do and all of his power and all of his position. No, he humbled himself. And here's what God says. I will not bring this disaster in his day. I'm going to bring it on the house of his son, but not on him. This man who was associated with the most evil person who ever lived. He responded to the word of God by humbling himself. He tore off his kingly robes. He put on sackcloth and ashes, a sign of humility. He changed God's mind. I want to know what changes God's mind toward me, don't you? I want to know what changes God's mind of anger toward me because of my sin to loving me because. And it's this thing called humility. Humility. Most people don't understand humility. They consider it to be weakness. No, it's not weakness. It takes a lot of strength. As a matter of fact, it's one of the greatest battles you and I will ever have. Is the battle... To humble ourselves before God. To humble ourselves. Because a lot of times, we'll look around and go, well, what will people think? Well, don't they know who I am? I'm a senator. I'm a congressman. I'm a president of this or that. Well, I have position. I have power. People think of me in a certain way. You know, I've seen people in the highest positions in the communities we pastor, in the highest positions, stand up in services and walk down to the front and fall on their face before God and cry out, God have mercy. See, God wants humility. He responds. Humility means this, to pack it all up and take it out of the land. Packing up what? All of my pride. Packing up all of my position. All of my power, I pack it all up and I take it out and cast it out of the land. It means to get rid of it. To get rid of looking at, hey, you know who I am? You see that way? He was that way toward a neighbor. Hey, you know who I am? You dare say no to me? What a response. And then he comes to God and God says, listen, I have more power than you. And he realizes this is God. This is not a man. This is God talking. And he says, I'm going to pack it all in. I'm going to pack it all up. I'm going to pack up all my, my kingship. I'm going to pack up all my power, my position, my authority. I'm packing up everything. I'm putting my seal in there. Everything. I'm packing it up and getting rid of it. Because when I stand before God, I am nothing. I am nothing. It means to get overwhelmed by God and not of ourselves. I've seen people who were overwhelmed by themselves. Look at me. Look at what I've done. Look at the position that I Look how much money. Listen, I've had millionaires in my churches. And I've had them try to leverage money to try to get things done. Listen, 
That, that's not the way God works. It's not the way God works. I had one guy, he, we were having a, a business meeting and we were wanting to buy a, a people mover thing for the church and it was going to cost a lot of money. And we didn't have it. I mean, churches just don't have a bunch of money floating around. So we're having a meeting whether or not to buy it. And this guy, he was a very wealthy man. And he stood up and goes, and I'm thinking, oh, no, if he stands up, this is going to be bad. He's going to be against it. He's going to be, because he was against everything. Everything. And he stands up and he goes, Pastor. Yeah. Well, I just want you to know. My heart just hit the floor. I just want you to know that I'm not for it. But if you can get one that goes, Ch -ch -ch, I'll buy. Ch -ch. He wanted something with power brakes. So when you stopped, it went, Ch -ch. I said, I think we can find one that goes, Ch -ch, if you'll pay for it. He started writing out the check. But see, I've also had people who, who come in and go, Pastor, I got a big check here, but only if you'll do certain things my way. I've never accepted those checks. And I never will. Because we need to be humbled in the presence of God. Every one of us. Myself first and then everybody else. We need to pack it all up. We need to get rid of our pride. And we, I, I don't care if you have a GED or a PhD. It's all nothing in the presence of God. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 5 says this. In the same way you who are younger submit yourselves. That's not a word we hear in our society today, is it? Submit yourself to your elders. We need to learn how to be submissive to authority. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Yes. We don't walk around going, well, you're not in my socioeconomic class, so I'm not going to greet you during church. Let me find someone that I can relate to. No, no. We all relate to each other because at one point in time, we humble ourselves and fall on our knees at the cross of Jesus Christ. And we say, God, have mercy upon me. I'm a sinner. I pack it all up. I pack it all out. I get rid of it. Why? Because in your presence, I am nothing. I don't have credentials. I don't have position. I don't have power. I don't have authority. You are the authority. You are the power. You have all position. And God, I submit myself. Submit my life to you. Paul looked at himself this way. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles. Paul said. And do not even deserve to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. Paul was killing the Christians in the church. But then he humbled himself on a road with them. And he was never the same. He had credentials. Paul said I've been to the best schools that they have. I've been trained by Gamaliel. I know all the education. I have all the degrees. I can, I can impress all of you. I was born of the right family, have the right education, have the pedigree. And Paul says, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, I am the least of the least. I am the least. Ephesians 3.8. He said, although I am less than the least of the Lord's people, this grace was given to me. Hallelujah. 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 Don't take for granted the grace of God in your life. 
This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Paul said there was a day where I was so full of myself, but I packed it all up. I got rid of it, got it out of the land. Why? Because I realized I must decrease that Christ must increase. That's what John said. I realize that I am nothing and I am nothing without Christ, but with Christ I am all things to all people. Look at this. 1 Timothy 1.15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. The Bible tells us when we're invited to a banquet, don't walk in and take at the seat at the head table. But come in and sit at the back and let the host invite you to the front. We walk into church and go, whoa, pastor better be glad I'm here today. No. We walk into church and say, thank you, God, that I got saved. I'm redeemed, bought by the blood of the Lamb. I've taken off everything of me, and I'm putting on Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We're all the same at the cross. There's no big I, little me, big you, little me. None of that. Paul says, if it's not for the grace of God, if it's not for the grace of God, I want more grace. I want more mercy. I want to change the mind of God to me so that he says, I'm not going to curse you, but I'm going to bless you. Everything you put your hand to, I want it to prosper. I'm going to take care of your family, your kids, and your grandkids, and a thousand generations will live because of your blessings in my life. I want to change God's mind toward me. I don't want him to declare it. I'm going to take everything from you and destroy it. And the dogs and the birds are going to. I don't want that. I want God to say, my son in whom I am well pleased. Enter into the joys of the Lord. Why? Because I packed it all up. I packed it all up and got rid of it. Uh, Paul said it this way. He said in Galatians 2.20, I died. No longer am I alive. I don't have my will. I don't have my desires. But God's will is in my life. God's desires are in my life. And he said, the life which I now live, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, I, I don't live for myself. I don't have these things because of me. I have it because of God. Paul understood that in the presence of God, his credentials got him nowhere. Mark chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Well, what is that answer in response to? It's in response to the question in verse 26. The question is this. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who can be saved? Hallelujah! Who can be saved? Every one of you. Nothing is impossible with God. Every person who takes a breath, even if you're, even if you're associated with Ahab, you're the most evil man or evil woman that's ever walked the face of this earth. You walk into the presence of God and you humble yourself and you say, God, I am nothing. 
You are everything. God says, I forgive you. I wash you white as snow. I give you amazing grace. I give you more mercies new every morning. Go and live in the blessings of God. Listen, no man is impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. I've seen the worst of the worst of communities walk into churches and leave a man or a woman of God shouting and praising. Why? Because they humbled themselves. They said, I get rid of everything that's about me. And then I've seen the best of the best of the best of communities walk in. I remember one Sunday we had the mayor and his wife in church. And all of a sudden everybody's coming in. Oh, the mayor's here today. The mayor's here today. The mayor's here today. Pastor, did you know? I'm like, yeah, you're like the 60th person that's talking about The mayor's here today. Well, is that going to change your message? Absolutely not. Are you going to act any different? Absolutely not. Because the mayor needs to hear. The mayor needs to hear the amazing grace of the salvation knowledge of Jesus Christ. The mayor needs to humble himself. And, and you know what? That morning the mayor and his wife came down to the altars and got saved. Hallelujah. Isn't it wonderful when the mayor of a town gets saved and all of a sudden says, hey, we're going to do things different around here? Praise God. Why fell out under the Spirit? Wow. Yeah. Because God got right in their face. Says, I know you. And I love you. Hallelujah. Everyone can be saved. Even Ahab. Charles Spurgeon said this. Be careful and be not proud of race, face, or place. The only thing we can boast about is grace. Hallelujah. Oh, don't get caught up in your ethnicities. Come on. Come on. I've seen people get caught up in their ethnicity. Well, I'm a Caucasian. No. I don't know what I am. All I know is I'm an American. I think if I do that 23 and me, they're going to come back and go, you one messed up dude. I've had people tell me I look Iranian, I look Italian, I look all kinds of foreign. I don't, I really don't know what my heritage is. But I know this one thing. My father is the Lord Jesus Christ. I have a brother named Jesus. My father is God. I have a heritage. I've got a family DNA. We get caught up. Well, I'm African American. Okay. Well, I'm Hispanic. I'm Mexican. I'm this, I'm that, I'm Asian, I'm Polynesian. It doesn't matter. When we come into the presence of God, we're all sinners. And then we humble ourselves. And then we are saints of God. There's a phrase that people say that, that always bothers me. It's just a personal thing. I, I don't want to offend anybody today. People say, oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you're not. You were a sinner. You were saved by grace. But now you're a child of the Most High God. You're part of the royal priesthood. Your father is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You're no longer anything to do with being a sinner. You're no longer anything to do with your past. You've humbled yourself in the presence of God. And now you are royalty. Some people don't know how to live in royalty. 
We heard the other day somebody winning a $5 million deal up front. Then they got 5000 a week the rest of their life. My wife said, I don't know how I would spend all that. I said, I do. <laughs> well, I wouldn't know how to act. Oh, I do. Same way I act now. Because I realize that I am nothing without Christ. I'm nothing. Nothing. If we think we are something, then you will really be nothing. But if you think you are nothing, then you will allow God to make you something. I'm nothing on my own. But with God, I'm something. I am his son. He looks on me with affection. He tells me I am the apple of his eye. He thinks about me all the time. I am never out of his thoughts. And his love is beyond comprehension. I cannot begin to understand how high, how wide, nor how deep the love of God is for me. And you know what? Before I get somewhere, he fights my battles for me. And nothing can separate me from the love of my Father. Nothing. And that's who I am in Christ. And that's who you are in Christ. And so we don't walk around and get over here in our bedrooms and get all in the fetal position and be sullen. <laughs> I didn't get what I wanted. Act like the son and the daughter of a king. Get up. Wash your face. Put on a smile. Get some good clothes. The Bible says take off garments of heaviness and put on some garments of praise. Because you've got to know who you are. You've got to know what God has done for you because of the grace. And it's all because you humble yourself in the presence of an almighty God. Stand with me today, church. I never want to come to you with harsh words. But I do come to you with truth. And I've got to tell you, the truth is not everybody has lived a perfect life. That's just the truth. The truth is, some of you had great Thanksgiving holidays and everything was perfect. The turkey was great. Your family was great. You just syrupy love everywhere. And then there's the real Thanksgiving. To where the turkey didn't turn out right, your family members are driving you nuts, and you're glad it's over and glad to be in the house of God. Hallelujah, survive. I'm getting too many nods on that. <laughs> but here's the truth today. No matter who you are, no matter what position you have, no matter what education you have, no matter how much money you make, message. Join us anytime at PCAChurch.com and every Sunday at 2313 East Prospect in Ponca City.